Hey, welcome everyone to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove. Um, flying solo tonight. Jason, super producer, is wasn't available to uh, to jump on. But uh, before I get started here with tonight's guest, I just want to remind everybody that uh, if, if you've got a story or a sighting or just something that you want to share uh, with me off the air or even on the air, make sure you get a hold of us. From the Shadows podcast on Facebook or our forum page on Facebook called After the Shadows. You can send us a message on there. You can find me at Shane Grove Author on Instagram or hit us up on our From the Shadows podcast Instagram page. And the best way to go and leave us a detailed email is just to go to our website, from the shadowspodcast.com. Send me an email, I'll get it. Sometimes it goes to the judge and he, uh, you know, he's hit or miss because he's an important guy. And if he was here, he'd be the first, the second one to tell you he was an important guy. So uh, forgive it. For, forgive me if it goes to the judge and I don't get it till three weeks later, but I'll get back to you eventually. <laughs> so, but uh, I'm excited about tonight's guest. Um, and some of you guys, some of our listeners may know him because he's a, he's a, he's a, author of uh, a couple of really cool books about Bigfoot and he has a really cool YouTube channel. So joining us tonight uh, is David Wilbanks of the Bigfoot and More YouTube channel and I'll let him t- I'll let him tell about the books because I don't want to butcher the titles because I'm terrible at, at names. So David, thanks for joining us tonight on the uh, from the Shadows podcast. Hey, thanks for inviting me on. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we could uh, kind of short notice. Glad we could kind of get this uh, set up so we could uh, get you on and hear about. Um, I, I I know I mentioned the YouTube channel, the Bigfoot and More. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to tell our our audience, our listeners, a little bit about that YouTube channel before we get into the books? Uh, I can, and part of your sentence kind of broke off there. Oh, I, I would hear just, the very last part of it. Uh, sorry, I was just saying before we get start talking about the books, do you want to tell everybody? Let's let's talk about your Bigfoot and More YouTube channel a little bit. Like, tell our listeners what that channel is and what they can expect to find when they go over and uh, check it out. Okay, well, uh, like you say, saying, the YouTube channel is called Bigfoot and More, and it's primarily Bigfoot stuff. I put the more on it because I do some, like, educational videos about venomous snakes and stuff like that. That's one of my other uh, hobbies there. So you may, you'll find a few uh, videos on there that don't have anything to do with Bigfoot. So that's why I put the more on it, you know. So if somebody sends me a report of another type of cryptid, you know, I, I might uh, make a video about that as well, but it's primarily uh, I do a lot of sharing other people's encounters that uh, give me uh, permission to do so. I do a lot of uh, solo camping in the Kaimishi Mountains, and I try to document each one of those. Um, I've done some uh, trips up into the mountains uh, where I take uh, my son Elijah with me, uh, and we've had a friend of ours from Massachusetts who has a, a youtube channel called the no such thing podcast he's came down a couple of times and went on a couple of those field trips with us as well but most of the i've had the youtube channel up for a couple of years uh yeah right at two years i think 
And um, but that that's primarily what you'll find there is Bigfoot related stuff. And I do a live podcast uh, every Tuesday night that I call a, a Tuesday night talk in which I interview uh, uh, different people, witnesses uh, tomorrow or t- this Tuesday night. I'm interviewing a another Oklahoma author of Bigfoot related fictional books named John Vandeventer. Who has a couple of books called Relics the Dark Autumn and Relics to the Honubby Remnant, which I'm reading the second book and about through, and we're going to talk about that. Really good books there too. So that that's that's a little bit, but Bigfoot and More is the same is the name of the YouTube channel. Cool. I hope hopefully everybody will go check it out and uh, and see what it is that uh, you know. I mean, if you're listening to us, I'm sure you're doing you're you're doing uh, the same stuff. I mean, you're talking to people and you're talking about experiences. Now, I don't. Um, I'm not sure I could go watch anything about venomous snakes. To me, that's scarier than uh, going out looking for Bigfoot. Talking about venomous snakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, venomous snakes. there's one. Uh, there's one about you. I, mean, I think you've got water moccasins up there in Ohio, don't you? Like the venomous tide. Yeah. Yeah. Cotton mouth. Okay, well, they are thick as flies down here in southeast Oklahoma. And one of the trips I was down there looking for evidence of Bigfoot, uh, there was none. And so that night there was a hole of water in the creek below me. Uh, So I just kind of waited out there and did a little video about the the cotton mouths. And um, there's a little video about that on there as well. So oh, you, you just got to remember on, on venomous snakes, you know, they're, they're all right. Just uh, this comes off an old movie. So you just got to stay away from the sharp end, you know? <laughs> I guess so. And I guess I, so. I don't, I do not free handle venomous snakes. And personally, the, you know, the. You're not a Pentecostal. YouTube channel. No, but you know what? If there was one of those type of churches around here, I would go just to watch. <laughs> you know, root, root for the snake. I think anybody that slings them around and acting like that deserves to get bit. You know? <laughs> root for the so, snake. Now that is a teacher. But that, you know, a funny, funny story there. You know, I, my uh, place of business, I own, a, I own a music store, and churches are a large part of my uh, clientele you know for pa systems and such and and those uh snake handling churches they're a, a kind of a strange kind of uh, pentecostal and i told one of my pentecostal preacher customers keeps inviting me to church i said you know you bring the snakes in there i said i'll come <laughs> and he said no i'm not gonna do that <laughs> you know? oh gosh that's just that's just crazy to me that's to me, that is probably worse than the than going out and by yourself looking for Bigfoot. You know what I'm, I'm saying? I'm not worried. I've had no negative experiences involving a Sasquatch. <laughs> well, um, speaking of that, I mean, let's let's talk about your your latest book because isn't that? I mean, that's about your experiences and about other people's experiences and. In uh, in and around Oklahoma, right? Yeah, a matter of fact, uh, and I did not realize this. Somebody uh, when I this um, <clears throat> I, it's self published. I published it, and it's called Kayamishi Bigfoot investigating the Oklahoma Sasquatch. And for anybody who don't know how to spell it, Kayamishi 
is uh, spelled K-I-A-M-I-C-H-I. And uh, when I first published it, and you'd type it in on Amazon, it would take you to recipes for kimchi, which is a Korean dish, you know, <laughs> which is funny because, because you know, my wife is from, from South Korea, you know, and I'm like, honey, Kayamishi doesn't sound like kimchi, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, it's available on a Amazon in ebook or a paperback, and it's by, by me, David Wilbanks, Kayamishi Bigfoot, investigating the Oklahoma Sasquatch. And it's uh, has I do share some other people's uh, sightings. There's a chapter on that, but most of it are sightings that I have personally investigated more in depth. That uh, uh, some of the ones I find of most interest, and all of these are in Oklahoma. Uh, one of my friends, when it first was published, said, "I think you've written the first book that exclusively focuses on Bigfoot sightings in Oklahoma." And I think he's right, uh, but somebody last month published one that uh, revolves around an area of Oklahoma. But I may well be the first one to publish one that is exclusively about the, the Bigfoot mystery in Oklahoma. Well, well what makes the uh, uh, Kayamishi area so special then? Well, okay. Yeah, you wrote a whole book about it. What makes it, what makes it so special? Well... Okay, it's like this. The Kayamishi Mountains are a sub-range of the Washita Mountains, which are in the, you know, the Washita National Forest, and that extends from southeast Oklahoma all the way into central Arkansas. And basically, I thought Kayamishi Bigfoot sounded cooler than Washita Bigfoot. <laughs> it does. I got to admit, it sounds pretty and, cool. And, you know, yeah, and it, it does. And, and I and that's part of the sub-range that I go down into. And, uh, and you know, I thought, well, do I want to call it Oklahoma Bigfoot? Nah. I, I just thought that Kaimishi Bigfoot, especially anybody in Oklahoma or Texas or Arkansas or Missouri, are probably familiar with the Kaimishi Mountains because it's a very beautiful place. It's, uh, it's not, a, you know, for anybody that's listening from another state, it's not – it's not mountains like Rocky Mountains. I mean, it wouldn't even qualify as that, but they are like uh, uh, Appalachian-style uh, mountains, you know, the more rolling, older, a lot older mountains. But they're, yeah. And it's like, it's more eastern woodland, you know. It's like what you would see in Tennessee and all the way up into, you know, the Appalachian chain. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people probably that have not traveled through there you think Oklahoma, you just think nothing but flat cornfields, you know, uh, there wouldn't. There yeah, well, wouldn't you be got that, too. It's, it's a very diverse state. Seriously, if you're on the, uh, yeah. well, Interstate 35 separates the state right down the middle. You go to the west of um, I-35, it starts at, that's what we call the cross timbers right in there. That's the oak, a lot of hardwoods and oaks you know and it's then they give away the further west you go it turns more into plains okay and uh down in the southwest corner of the state we've got the wichita mountains which looks like if you ever watch some of the old westerns you know when the cavalry's riding through and they're being attacked by the natives and stuff it looks just like you'd expect to see a wagon train going through down there but now you get southeastern part of the state you've got the mountains you've got pine forests you've got lots and lots of creeks lakes 
and a long, long, rich history of Bigfoot sightings that go all the way back before they even had a new to call them Bigfoot. They call them wild man or boogers or, or you know, stuff like that. Or, um, you know, just different names. Of course, you know, the name Bigfoot didn't come around till like 1958 when Jerry Crew found those big footprints up in Northern California. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so what? So, like I said, then what got you focused on this region? Then, other than it just being a, a really cool name, I mean, something had to lead you there to make you want to start um, investigating Absolutely. in that area. Yeah, well, that's. that's this is kind of where I'm from. I mean, the foothills of the Kaimishis is less than an hour drive from my house. And um, I've, I've been interested in this since I was a little kid. Um, and the story is my mother back in the 60s worked for, and I was, I was born in the late 60s, uh, worked for a veterinarian uh, named Dr. Lewis Stiles. And he had a practice in the little town close here, but he was from the town of Broken Bow, Oklahoma, which is uh, right down in the southeast corner, right at the foothills of the mountains there. And uh, he was born there, so he became a federal veterinarian and moved back to uh, the Broken Bow area. So my family and I would go down there and spend a lot of time. So I basically grew up with his kids. And he had this book, and I remember this, I was looking at this book before I was old enough to read, and it was by Roger Patterson, uh, you, you know, Roger Patterson, Patterson, oh, yeah. Gimlin film. Um, yeah. And it was called, you know, do abominable snowmen of America really exist? And back in uh, before the Pat famous Patterson film, uh, Lewis knew that he was looking for that. And Lewis was wanting to go on an expedition with him. He said, look, look I don't know nothing about this, but I'm a veterinarian. I'm a man of science. I'm curious. Uh, and I know horses. I could I could help you with the horses. Nothing ever came of that. But he did get that copy of that book from Roger. So when I was a little kid, I went pouring over that book every chance I got. And uh, then one day we were down there, and I was probably about 10 years old at this time. Uh, there was There's an area way back in the – okay, if you're in Broken Bow, just north of Broken Bow is mountains. Just south, you go into these cypress swamps or sloughs, as we call them. Somebody had an encounter with a Bigfoot in one of these uh, swamps down there, or sloughs, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I was like, "Wow, we got we got to go look." So under the under the guise of my dad and Lewis taking me fishing in this same area, I talked them into taking me back in there. And of course, they're fishing, and I'm just looking into the, you know, looking into the forest because I know that thing's got to be there, you know. And I was hooked from an early age. Uh, <laughs> Any of the book clubs that's, you know, we're talking in the mid 70s, you know, any oh, yeah. of the book clubs that's, well, if there was anything, any books on Bigfoot or the Yeti, the Abominable Snowman, I, I would get them, you know. So, and then in the uh, um, mid to late 1990s, I started actively uh, collecting and, uh, you know, more properly looking into this mystery, you know, as I became a young adult. And, um, well, that's that's where it all got started, and so I this, never outgrew. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the mid '90s, then were you like, how did people know that you were the guy to send send their? Uh, well, they or did really, you go at, they really, the, 
actively go looking. Yeah, during that time, I would go into areas like, okay, mid to late 90s, I would go into the areas where, you know, there were, you know, reports in, you know, camp or hike and fish, do these type of things. Now, when it became a thing, would have been about probably 99 uh, when I 99 or 2000 I started a website called southernbigfoot.com it just seemed like the thing to call it and then people started reaching out to me with their sightings and have to have me investigate them and I and at that time uh, from like 1995 to then the biggest uh, website was the you know the the BFRO and I was was briefly a contact for them. Their main contact in Oklahoma, uh, to my knowledge, that time was Roger Roberts, and I went on a, a few uh, field investigations with him um, during that time as well. But I'm I'm pretty fiercely independent, so I I mostly do my own did my own thing. But I did work with them on some a few interesting cases, which I talk about those in the book as well. Kai Mishy Bigfoot. Well, do you, I mean, do you want to share one of those uh, interesting encounters from the early days that really got you, really got you into it? Well, one, the first one uh, that I investigated that just, you know, I did not have any doubt when I heard this guy's story and the other fellow, I'm like going, okay, this guy's not making it up. Two things happened: mistaken identity of something they ran into or they had a face-to-face encounter with Sasquatch. And this encounter took part, took place in the river bottoms below the dam of Grand Lake, which is in the far northeastern uh, corner of the state. And both people involved uh, in this sighting, this encounter, were two off-duty police officers. Well, one was a sheriff's deputy and the other is a police officer. And these these people are, are both featured in the and, uh, and we'll talk about the documentary I was on with the Travel Channel in a minute. Uh, but anyway, I got an email from him. His name was Dan. Um, and I thought, okay, he's a police officer. You know, he's putting a lot on the line if he's, you know, coming public with this. And he was so shocked and everything. He didn't care who knew, you know. So I met him up there. Now, the first, now here's another thing, how I knew these guys were, were telling me the truth. The one officer the deputy would not go back down into this area. And the other guy left before dark, leaving me down there. So, I mean, that first night down there, nothing nothing happened, but I'm like, there. that was the sincerity um, of that. Now, the Dan, uh, Dan Belda, it was his name, and uh, sadly, he's no longer uh, uh, living. He passed away in the in the mid, uh, mid-2000s. Uh, but he and I became became friends, and he was actually became my contact for doing investigations up in that part of the state. But anyway, we went back down there a few times. What what had happened is him and another guy were four wheeling back there, and they seen one of these things run across uh, uh, this trail, you know, in front of them at a distance, but it was far enough away it didn't have the, you know, the scary effect on them too much. But then this other night, him and another guy, this and this other fellow was, uh, like I said, an off-duty uh, a sheriff's deputy, were camping down there, and they heard something on the other. You have, what you had, it would have been on the east side of camp. Uh, you had a mountain that went straight up, and at the bottom of this mountain 
I'm calling it, uh, there's like a dip and a berm that something could hide behind, and they were hearing something on the other side of this berm, and this is this is deep woods. And so they thought, as the story came to me, well, it's an armadillo is what they thought it was, was an armadillo rooting in the leaves, and they were going to walk around there and shoot the armadillo. And when they walked around the side of this berm, what they come face to face with, what they were hearing was this Sasquatch was scooting up the other side on its stomach, looking at them over the top of it. And it just stood up right in their face. And uh, I'm not, not going to repeat on air what Dan said that he did. Um, but he said, basically, I screamed like a expletive and ran. Now, the other guy froze in his tracks and Dan grabbed him by the collar and jerked him out of there. And they left all of their camping equipment and everything down there. They beat a hasty retreat. Um, so, and I was down there not not terribly long after that initial uh, sighting. So uh, that one was very interesting because I knew just the fear uh, that they had of that area, um, that they were, you know, being truthful about it. Uh, several weeks, and this this area is about a good oh, four-hour drive uh, from where I live down here in the southeastern part of the state. But one night we were up there, it was me, Dan, my, uh, well, now she's my ex-wife, but wasn't at the time, and something was prowling around the edge of camp. And on the river side of camp, and this is the same place he had had his encounter earlier that year, uh, by this time, there's a lot of river cane, uh, big sycamore trees are just really thick, briars and underbrush, and we could hear something in that underbrush. And for a brief instant, I shined my flashlight over there and got some some eye shine back. And um, that was it. But we didn't hear it run off anywhere. So I was thinking, well, it's still in that brush. So I went around uh, to try to approach it from the side. Because at this time, I was thinking, well, it's most probably a deer. Because I just seen a brief flash of eye shine. And as I come around there, between me and where I saw the eye shine, there was a big... Uh, a big tree there that was obscuring my uh, my line of sight there, and both Dan and my uh, then wife yelled and said it stood up, and they uh, seen this Bigfoot basically that was crouched in the in the brush stand up, and they seen it from like the waist up, and then it took off running, and it took off running in my direction, and as it went through the thicker brush just to the uh, to the west side of me, I caught a brief glimpse of just a flash of brown, and that's all I seen of it, and it was gone. You know, so. Um, well, I, I I wanted to ask you since you became, since you became friends with Dan, and right. him and the other guy were were um, police and sheriff, uh, you know, off duty. So in that case, what do they, do they report that to anybody or are they just looking for somebody? People don't. No, they did. I mean, they talked about, I mean, what are you going to report? I mean, when you get down to it. Well, Um, that's that's I wonder them being in the profession. Okay. And because this is wilderness area. I mean, it's not like there's any laws broken. I mean, you know, or anything like that. There was nobody attacked. There was no dangerous thing they just saw it you know scared them because it was safe safe uh, face to face 
but I mean, there was no injuries. There were no loss to property, damaged property. I mean, there was, I mean, what? Yeah, you you really don't have something like that. I mean, they did uh, share it with some of their friends. Matter of fact, one of the times that I went down there, uh, Dan brought a couple of his other uh, police buddies with him. And um, and I, I don't know their names. I only saw them that one time. But um, now the one guy now, if you watch Bigfootville, the name of the the name of the documentary that I was on and helped the Travel Channel uh, in making was called Bigfootville, Bigfootville. And uh, when you get to the part where Dan and uh, the deputies on there, you can tell the deputy is very scared. And, you know, um, that was the first time he had been back down into that area since they had had that initial encounter. And that had been by that time, it about a year had passed. And he was still pretty, you know, nervous about being down there, even though when you watch a documentary, don't ever think somebody's out in the woods by themselves. You got all kinds of people around you. Oh, I mean, yeah. like for instance, with us, we had of the film crew. And I probably we all probably ought to segue into that part of it more properly, or it's going to be all fragmented. But um, but anyway, we can talk about the, the documentary thing in a minute. But um, anyway, that was one of the more interesting uh, early cases uh, that I was involved in. The other one, um, which actually had one of these things on surveillance video, was uh, beside a, ca a casino here in Oklahoma. And you can, it's just called simply the casino footage. And I'm one of uh, very few people outside of that particular tribe that got to, that got to see that footage. And it was basically, they had um, uh, footage and what, and what me and, uh, and the guy from the BFRO the, uh, named Roger Roberts, he was the other guy uh, that was in, that was allowed into that, um, uh, what do you call it, security room uh, to see that back then. And he had a friend of his he brought from, from Southeast Oklahoma with him that I don't know his name, and I, I really wouldn't have any reason to because that was the only time I was really around the guy. But uh, we were allowed to see it, and we only saw a few seconds uh, what they had, but it showed one of these creatures uh, step up to this uh, grease trap uh, behind that casino and lean over and place its hands on the top. Um, and there was a small uh, light, like street light, beside this grease trap and it was standing right under it and we were able to measure up this light pole where it was and we were able to determine its height at just over nine feet tall which kind of rules out a guy in a monkey suit and if you were going to do a hoax in a monkey suit why would you go to a grease trap you know there'd be a lot of other cool you know well, and plus it left its it left uh, like long fingerprints uh, in the grease on the top of it. Uh, you know, and these fingers were massively wide, you know, but the thing is, this thing wasn't a, and of course, keep in mind, it was that, you know how surveillance video at night look, it's kind of grayish, grainy looking and all. Um, but the way this thing moved and the way it was built, it was not like the uh, thing on the Patterson film. It did walk kind of, like that in that gliding type fashion but it, instead of that stocky build it was very tall and uh like lanky muscular like a like a basketball player or something like that you know but of course covered in hair 
And th and that but, was, yeah. Was, was that the only? Call. That's. Well, was that the, the only? only was that the only time that that place had? Um, no, not at all. They had been during that period of time. They were getting reports from all over that area, which I just almost didn't uh, didn't want to go up there. That's that's a good. That's a long ways from my house too. That's I'm in southeast Oklahoma. That's getting up on the other side of the city, which you're just getting into western Oklahoma there and in the prairie. You know, I'm like, what would a Bigfoot be doing out there? But it does run. This place is very close to the North Canadian River. Um, and where they have had sightings of Bigfoot along that river since the you know early 70s, late 60s, uh, they called it the chicken man, not because it looked or looked or acted like a chicken, but there were some uh, chicken farmer had found it uh, trying to get into his chicken pen and stealing chickens. So, you know, I mean, everybody likes chicken, right? Even, <laughs> even the big. And also there were there was a large patch of uh, uh, forest there, which is uh, not tall forest like southeast Oklahoma, but still a lot of like scrub oak and, and stuff like that, where there were some natural springs in. Um, I don't think that these things stayed there because it was too concentrated an area. I think they were were probably migrating along the river and, and would come up there, probably attracted by the, uh, you know, food that they throw away or something back there. But uh, yeah, there was even reports of a, a bus that was parked out there with some people on it at night and one of these things walking up and looking in the window at them. And uh, there were just a lot of it, a lot of stuff going on there at the time. Of course, people started coming up wanting to know more about wanting to look for Bigfoot instead of gamble at the casino. So they shut that down pretty quick and just said, okay, <laughs> no more, you know. Plus, people wow. trespassing on the tribal property and just making a nuisance of themselves. They just said, you know, no more of that. Well, was that anything that the, that the Native American tribe had? Um, did they have any kind of theories as to what it was? Was it something that their tribe had talked about at all before they started running casinos, you know, I mean. Well, I mean, different, to my knowledge, every Native American tribe has some legend regarding uh, these creatures. They call them different things, you know, different languages mm -hmm. like, a, and it also uh, depends on the, the character of what you're describing. Like take my, my book, uh, The Champagne, which is based on a monster in Choctaw legend. The Champay is a cannibalistic, big, black, foul-smelling, ogre-like monster. Okay, that sounds like you're talking about a Bigfoot. Now, in that same language, if you're just talking about, and I'm getting this direct from the source, a good friend of mine who is a, a Chickasaw, Choctaw, and Seminole, uh, can speak those languages. I said, what? I, his name was Tim Harjo, and he was on the Bigfootville documentary as well. I said, if you want to call something a Bigfoot, what would be the name of it? Just your benign, not mean Sasquatch. He said, Hatak Chito, which just means big man. He said, that's what we would call it, Hatak Chito. Now, uh, Chickasaw, which are cousins to the Choctaw, they did the tribe. Choctaw is the older the Chickasaw split off the Choctaw back long, long time ago. I don't know how long, hundreds of years probably. And the same thing in the uh, Chickasaw, uh, Tim told me, would call Hatak Ishtu, 
which means big man, same thing, you know. So Hatak is man. So uh, you have the Pacific Northwest, you know, famously you've got the Sasquatch, which is um, an anglicized version of what the word actually is. The, the mean one up in the Pacific Northwest, the Sonaquah, that would steal and eat children, which sounds like their version of what the Champagne would be back down here in the Choctaw native land is in an area which is now Mississippi. So that would have been a, you know, down there in the swamps and stuff. So yeah, every tribe, you got the stone giants up in the Northeast. I mean, you, yeah, every, every tribe has some uh, legend regarding uh, these creatures. Well, you, you mentioned, mentioned the, the, the champy. That's, that is also, that's the other book that you wrote, right? Like you, yes, that actually well, is the first book wrote is the Champagne, and um, that is also available on uh, Amazon in um, paperback or ebook, and it's spelled S H A M P E, Champagne, 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 uh, however you pronounce it. I've got, I've got two Choctaw friends. One of them called it Champagne, the other called it Champagne. So you, I guess you've got some leeway there. But um, and people say, well, why? Because where I live is smack in the middle of the, uh, well, where my business is is in Chickasaw Nation. Of course, they're like, well, why didn't you write it about the, uh, the Chickasaw version of the, the bad one called the Lufa? And I'm like, well, because the mountains of southeast Oklahoma is Choctaw territory, <laughs> so I went with the, you know, the Choctaw legend, uh, on that. Now the the story itself is fiction. But it is the research is very sound that I put into this creature, and it is by all intents and purposes describing a Sasquatch. And the book does also uh, contain the more uh, um, shy forest Bigfoots that just want to be left alone. Uh, there's also some accounts in the Champagne that are based on on actual accounts as well. But it is it is uh, uh, for the biggest part a fictional story. However, Kayamishi Bigfoot is all actual accounts and uh, documenting my research into the subject and history in it. Well, so back to that one. So as, as soon as we come, you know, those first couple uh, cases you talked about, and I do like the fact that, that Dan, it's weird, isn't it, that Dan and the other guy experienced the same thing, but Dan... It didn't affect Dan seemingly the same way. He was still willing to go back. Uh, not out there as. And... Yeah, and that that's the thing. Any uh, any traumatic event, no nobody can say. And I was a police officer for a while too. So you know, you take reports from people, and I and I say that just to say that I have interviewed people that have been in you know involved in a traumatic experience. And nobody knows how they will react to something like this. You can plan for it. You can say, man, if that was me, I'd have done this. Well, no, you don't know until it happens. And Dan, he, like I said, the first time he led me back in there, he left before dark. The other fellow, Jeff, first time he was back in there was when we shot the Travel Channel documentary. And there was a good number of people there. So it's, you know, it's just you're out in the woods and all of a sudden, within 10, 15 foot of you, something stands up that's not supposed to exist. And it towers above you at like seven to eight feet tall, covered in reddish brown hair. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And it just stands there and looks at you. Nobody can tell you exactly how they will react to that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely, Dan's, yeah, you're absolutely right. His curiosity led him led him back, and he and I became you know pretty good friends during that. And and I went up there several times uh, during that time. But after after that, uh, um, when the thing stood up in front of him when I was down there, and then ran by me in the woods the next few times down there. Uh, no activity whatsoever uh, on that. Now, when uh, we were shooting that documentary for Travel Channel, um, there were some weird noises and stuff in the woods, you know, like that. And some of the crew thought they saw something up on the ridge, uh, but that's open for interpretation, uh, you know, because like I say, if you're doing a documentary, you'll have cameramen, you'll have sound men, you'll have producers uh other people there's there's a lot of people around um yeah i mean it but you know what i think the one thing about these creatures though that you you find out is you can't predict what's gonna make them show up and what's gonna scare them away or anything i think they just kind of well here's here's the thing that i've found that's almost without exception is the people that have a sighting it's not when they're out looking for them so much as they're going about their business of camping or fishing or whatever, and just happen to catch sight of them, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Dan and, and Jeff's case, this thing was, you know, obvious curiosity. It was, it was scooting itself up the other side of this berm to, to watch them, you know, cook their meal or whatever they were doing. Um, and some people say they've had them, act aggressive and stuff and i and i say this um i have not i've had a very large rock and there was a witness here to this besides me too uh bounced off a tree just outside of our camp and when i say a large rock i'm t- i mean probably a 30 pound rock thrown with force against a large tree right outside of our camp and Somebody said, well, that's aggression. I said, no aggression would be that thing throwing that rock on top of us instead of against a tree. You know, my impression was it was letting us know that it was there and it would rather us go somewhere else, which we didn't, but we didn't, we didn't go back to sleep that night either. And that segue into, into that, that was, uh, as you and I were talking before the show, there's an area that I go to down in the Kaimishi Mountains that I started going to this exact little canyon if you will uh back in 2003 um actually somebody that lives not far from from me would take horses down in the mountains and and ride horseback on on trails and one of these creatures walked out into the trail ahead of him about 50 yards noticed him and then went back into the woods and so i went down there looking into that 
and me and a good friend of mine, his name is Brian Baker, and he's he's in the book here in this story I'm telling you is in there too. Um, we had uh, went fishing in this area. We was going to catch our dinner, which I like to do. Nothing nothing tastes better than fish cooked right on in a skillet on a campfire. And while we were hiking along this creek, this was in uh, late March of 2003 something was pacing us in the woods and this is very very thick thick woods down there in southeast oklahoma and it would walk as we walked and it would whistle and it was kind of a strange strange whistle um kind of uh, it's hard to it's not not like a bird not not quite like you'd think of a person that felt it set to me more like something was doing a low whistle that kind of originated more from the chest if that's just the best way I can describe it. We were like, well, we wonder if that's a Bigfoot, you know, but we never see anything. But later that night, like after midnight, we had turned in and I generally do not sleep in a tent. I will put a tarp uh, between trees to keep the dew or, or rain or something like that off of us. But I, I don't like the, to be confined in a in a tent if I can help it. Now, if it's really bitter cold, I will. But we were awakened. Uh, it was probably about two o'clock in the morning, like that, of this loud thud. And uh, when investigating it, we found that big rock where it had hit that tree just right outside of our camp and was laying on the ground under the tree. So uh, we did not sleep the rest of that night. And the next day, we found tracks in the leaves. And then we could see a heel print protruding from a mud puddle in the uh, in the trail there and I was actually thought there's a footprint in that and so what I did I built a little dam with sticks and stuff around this area and gently laid paper towels in that till we drained all the water out of it and made actually made a, a cast of the footprint it's not perfect but it looks pretty good so oh, um, and that was where and where we found the tracks was where that thing would have thrown that rock from. I'm just, to me, aggression is would have been if it had thrown the rock at us, which it definitely could have done, but it did not. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people, when they call aggression, and I'm, I'm, I'm just generalizing because I'm, I'm not saying people that experience aggression by these creatures don't, but the ones that I have experienced, um, documented myself were usually preceded by somebody shooting at one of them now if you shoot at something and it acts mean toward you that's more defensive than aggression in my book you know uh for the you know the largest part of uh encounters that i call in, uh, credible encounters anyway are people accidentally seeing one of these things Matter of fact, the only time I have actually laid eyes on one, it was very brief and it was not very big. And it was the summer before last. Wait, what what day is it? Yeah, we're no, it'd been last summer. We're not in the fall yet. And no. it was it was in it was in a different area. It was it was in southeast Oklahoma as well. And I was doing a solo camp and got there kind of late. It was still a little bit of daylight left, and I was getting stuff out of my truck. Uh, across the creek from me in the brush something caught the corner of my eye and when I looked back this figure was standing there I estimate it's hot uh, four and a half five foot tall not big my first thought 
when I focused on it was that is a really big wild pig staring at me straight on. But then it turned to the side and shot off through the woods and it was a bipedal hair covered creature and it was not a quadruped at all. And it it shot off through the woods and it didn't hardly make a noise as it as it left the area. But it was <clears throat> covered in a grayish black hair and it was about. Um, oh, I'd say yards, probably 25 yards, 30 yards at the most. Uh, across the creek and I its face all I can tell you about is the face had dark skin on it could not make out any features and you know looking back it only as soon as I focused on it it took off into the woods but it was not it wasn't big you know so do you think that was a juvenile then that you saw well or, or just something else or just something else well it, it was a sasquatch I don't have any doubt it was a sasquatch it's all it could be um, now, after it disappeared into the woods there, I did hear some like guttural uh, chattering noises on either side of where it disappeared to higher up uh, the ridge on each side. And one was across the creek from me, not close, but the other was uh, just uh, uh, downstream from me a little bit. And of course, my thoughts was maybe, a, you know, those were adults griping at the young one for being uh, careless or something. I don't know. That that was, <laughs> that's uh, just the thought. <laughs> but you know, after that, I didn't. Uh, I stayed there the the rest of the evening, and I did not have any other uh, weirdness. I guess you'd say every you know the birds and night sounds were just just normal. You know, but uh, and it did. You know, when I was saying nobody knows how they act when they actually seen one. Me, it was like, you know my gosh i finally saw one <laughs> you know now if i'd had a face-to-face -face encounter turned around and there's one seven to nine feet tall right in my face i i probably would not have stayed there you know but uh you know you, you don't know how you'll react you know even though you know that even though that you're pretty sure there was probably a seven to nine foot one uh just beyond your view you well, still uh, you know, just without seeing it was enough comfort that you didn't see it. No, you know, really, I was uh, tried. I've tried to put a handle on the emotion I was feeling at that time, and it was more bewilderment. Yeah. You know, because I've looked at this for so long. I've taken credible reports from somebody. I had a flash of a sighting uh, there, but all I saw was a flash of brown. So I couldn't say the one in by Grand Lake was a Sasquatch, except for uh, what Dan said he saw it from the waist up. But I did not get a clear uh, picture of that one. Just a flash of brown in my flashlight beam deeper as it ran deeper into the brush. But yeah, this was, I remember telling myself, you know, my gosh, I, I actually saw one, you know. And that it was just that bewilderment. Uh, a lot of times, um, the scariest part of being out in the woods like that on a solo camp is when you get back home and are thinking about the possibilities that could happen when you're out by yourself. Um, my friend um, Cornell <clears throat> from that has the No Such Thing podcast lives up in Massachusetts, uh, and he come down and uh, he he was like going, "How long are we going to drive?" Because we drove 
he got here that first night late. We got to a camp where we was going to camp down there in the mountains like at 1130 at night. And we drove through the dark forever. And he was thinking it'd be scary. And then once we're down there and have the campfire set up, he's like, you know, really the thought of being out here at night is scarier than actually being out here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's a good point. Well, I mean, as somebody who does not go out there and uh, doesn't like the camp unless it's in a something that's got wheels, you know, I, I, my hat's off to, uh, you know, to you guys going out there in tents or sleeping bags and uh, all by yourselves, especially. I mean, it's, well, I mean, it's, just, um, it's you know, seriously, it is. If you're out there, it's not as scary, you know. I mean, it depends on what's going on around you, too. But the one thing, especially solo camping, you have to be so much more, especially going into really remote areas where I do, um, like uh, the place that I'm talking about where I uh, got a glimpse of that uh, little Sasquatch across the creek. You have to drive for a full 30 minutes out of there before you get the first little bit of cell phone signal. So unless you've got a satellite phone, you're on your own. So what what do you have to look out for? One, I, I'm not worried about Bigfoot. I've said this before. If Bigfoot is out to get us, he's not very good at it. <laughs> okay, now let that soak in a lot. True. Um, I most people they say a bigfoot as soon as they realize that they've been seen they go the other direction that is the vast majority of uh of reports that i've got and that and if you read about them you know there's the old reports like uh, mount st helens ape canyon where they attack the cabin yeah, yeah but what happened before that they shot one yeah exactly yeah, yeah. that's gonna make anybody mad uh the report that uh uh, Theodore Roosevelt uh, relayed in his book Wilderness Hunter about the the bow, the trapper Bauman, his his partner getting killed by maybe it was a Bigfoot. It doesn't say it was, but maybe it was. But when it approached their lean to, they shot at the big uh, form that was standing there. So, uh, you know, to me, if you've shot at it, you 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 fired fired the proverbial first shot you know would it would things have been different had they not done that i don't know but um in my experience i've not experienced the closest thing to aggression i've experienced is the big rock that was thrown against the tree and like i said it could just as easily have thrown it on on one of us as the tree yeah i hear i hear the reports about the uh the large rocks being thrown and and you know you hope that uh, Bigfoot knows what he's doing, you know, that the creatures have good, <laughs> have good enough aim and they're just not missing on, on accident. Well, they're like, they're like, know, oh, my God, they are. oh my God, I missed again. I'll get one. <laughs> you know, like I'll, I'll tell you, tell you one here last, uh, this would have been the March before last, uh, my friend from Massachusetts, Cornell came down and him, me and my son went down to this area and we spent a couple of nights down there in the mountains. Uh, the first night we was there, we heard some couple of wood knocks, some distant type of vocalizations and such. Uh, the second night we traveled farther 
uh, back in. And this is on my part of this is on my YouTube channel as well. If you go back to the time is she expedition uh, from March of uh, uh, 2020, 21, 2021. Um, but that second night we were there, um, of course, it was bitter cold. So me and my son were in a tent. Uh, Cornell had his own tent set up right at the base of this boulder field which was the edge of this mountain deep woods earlier that night we were we heard a wood knock up the mountain beside us a little bit later it was answered we were right on the edge of that went down into these creek bottoms there was wood knock answered down in those creek bottoms and a little later something was clacking rocks together further down in the creek um so Late that night, we're all asleep, and I'm awakened after midnight. Cornell is just yelling. He said, something's beside my tent. Something's beside my tent. And so um, me and Elijah and my son, we come out of our tent, and Cornell's just, you know, terrified. And um, my first thought was a bear because he says, no, it was walking like a human. Like, and somebody... To get where we were, you would have to drive a good ways and then hike a ways. And we would have, it was just unlikely, very unlikely that we would not have been alerted to it. Plus, whatever had come up beside his tent just, you know, was gone as soon as we got out. And we'd have heard something, I would think, getting away if it was a person. My first thought was a bear because we do, there's a good population of black bear in that part of the state. But here's the thing we had food left out in our camp and my son had cooked steak in a in a skillet over the fire and the grease was still in the skillet food left out which you're not supposed to do i know that but it didn't touch that all it did was come down and brush up against uh, cornell's tent and we looked around whatever it was it went back you know of course we had the feeling that whatever it was was probably concealed in the woods observing us but so I, anyway, we decided we're going back to bed. Cornell said, I'm not sleeping in the tent. He said, uh, I'll sleep in your pickup in the back seat. And I said, well, yeah, but it's full of stuff. He goes, I don't care. I'll sleep in the front seat. I said, okay. So he sits up there. Me and Elijah, we go back in the tent, go sleep. Next morning, I get up, look at my pickup, and Cornell is sitting up in the front seat with his sleeping bag over his head. And I'm like, well, it was really cold. And went over, knocked on there, and he came out. I said, was you cold? He said, no. He said, when y'all got back in your tent, I was looking around at all the windows in this truck thinking, my God, what if it comes up and looks in at me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but, but an interesting thing, Cornell had set a recording device, uh, audio recording device, out in the woods about, uh, I'd say, 50, 60 yards from camp, just out in the woods. And when he got uh, back to Massachusetts and started going through the files on that, he captured uh, a really loud whoop. And I'm like, we didn't hear that. That It had to have been after we had, uh, you know, called it a night. But it was a very loud, clear whoop uh, like you hear uh uh, people talk about and i've heard before too but he got a very clear and if you go on his uh youtube channel uh called the no such thing podcast on youtube you can uh, go back to 
about a year ago and find the uh, um, audio that he recorded from that trip. So well, that's good. I, I mean, that's you wonder how close the uh, the creature was to the audio device. You know, maybe it was standing right beside uh, it or a little bit far. No, 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 it would have been, I think it had been uh, a lot louder. It, it wasn't right on it. No. I mean, but this audio device, this recorder, it would pick stuff up from a long ways away. Like the first night uh, in, in the first night we was there, uh, there was some like this chattering noises, but it was so far away in the woods. We could barely hear it uh with you know the naked ear and i'm like you know what is that you know but when he got that home he was able to blow that up and it was a couple of raccoons uh having a disagreement but through the through the trees yeah but through the trees at a distance where you could barely hear it with just your ear you couldn't it was hard to identify but once he got it back and you know uh, that recorder really picked it up clear. And it's like, oh, no, that's a couple of raccoons, you know. Now, the whoop, um, that that was, that's, you know, that's still unexplained. Yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot of things that whoop, um, you know, just in the woods. Well, I mean, people looking for Bigfoot whoop yeah, a lot. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, well, but, you know, uh, for, and for, you know, different owls, you know, uh, oh, okay. like barn owls, they can make some wicked scary sounds, you know. Now, you know, before we, uh, before we end this, uh, conversation here, I want to touch on a story you, you kind of, we talked about before was the investigation that you did on the, on some kids that were that were being watched oh okay well all right that was in a uh 2020 2020 i guess i first received an email from a gentleman down uh near the near the town of antlers which is in southeast oklahoma and since this this gentleman and his family he moved them moved them to back to arkansas but um they they had some property in the country and his kids he okay let me get back to the first of this on the email um they had bought their kid their little boy a christmas present of one of those uh battery operated cars you can drive yourself you know yeah like little yeah. kids can get in and drive it you know not fast and the little boy made the comment well he can't catch me now and uh, Mark's like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, the he called it a big black man is what he called it. He that lives in the woods. He said he follows me from the school bus every day. And Mark, you know, Mark, his dad's like, you know what, you know, thinks this kid's imagination, right? And uh, and you look at it, there's a the driveway that led to their house is probably a good hundred yards long. The uh, school bus let the kids off there. They had walked to the house. And there's a tree line of, you know, 30, 40 yards uh, to the other side. And they said that this man, this big man would walk in the woods and just kind of follow them in the, in the edge of the tree line. They just thought it was their imagination at first. But one night, 
they're in the living room, him and his wife, and the little boy comes running in there and said, hey, there's a bear looking in my window. And he said, it has a white face, you know, and it's like, it turns out, he says, no, and it walks upright. It walked like, you know, walked away just like a person. So Mark, he set up a bunch of game cameras and other security cameras around the house because what he used to, what he did for a living, he set up security systems and stuff like that. So he was, he was really good with the electronics. And he got some shots, distant shots of this tall black figure standing inside the tree line. It's a humanoid uh, looking figure. And um, and if you go on his website, you can see these there. I mean, they're blurry. They, you could call them a blob squatch, if, if you will, but they're, they're distant. But it is a, a, a dark humanoid figure standing there. And then he just had all this stuff going on. So he asked me if I'd... Uh, come out there and look in on it and i went down there and then when i went and investigated the woods behind the house there's a whole there's a whole account of this in in the book kind issue bigfoot and i show some pictures of a uh, um, couple of the footprints i found there's a trail behind the house where i found footprints of three different sizes of, of sasquatch i think the longest um the longest print was around 15 inches and the smallest one uh probably 11 inches long but that wide flat you know sasquatch look there's a trail through the woods you'd think was just a regular game trail but you can see where these things were coming up right to the edge of the tree line uh close to their house and you had his house was there at the close to it and then snuggled up right against the trees was his parents house and they're they're stones throw from each other and uh <clears throat> There was one branch about oh seven foot, six and a half, seven foot off the ground on this one tree green where something had grabbed this branch and just twisted it, um, which I found quite interesting. And there, there's pictures of that stuff when I recount that story. But um, anyway, long story short, not to give away the whole account in the book, is they eventually, um, due to concern uh, that these things may have you know, less than peaceful intentions, uh, their kids may be in danger, so they moved moved back to Arkansas where they lived previously. Wow. So that's um, so that's in the book, the uh, Kayamishi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. And I'm about to start writing on another. Like I say, as long as I've looked into this stuff, um, I've got a lot of things I could... Uh, talk about and then like i say there's there's one chapter in there that's just uh <clears throat> just other people's accounts that have sent in to me that you know i got permission for them to uh, to put in there there's one chapter in the book that's just called what are they which there's so many different things on the internet now uh back in the 90s it was either a subhuman or a Gigantopithecus that made its way from China all the way over to here and evolved to whatever. And now you've got uh, uh, people even exploring a paranormal aspect, uh, mm -hmm. yep. which I, with my own, and, and I'm, I'm very careful here. I don't want to ridicule anybody uh, because honest investigation, you take the person's report and you look into it. Um, now, my conclusions are not, 
conclusion is bad because I'm still learning. Um, in my own personal investigations, uh, have been of a creature that is flesh and blood. Uh, now, I have taken accounts from people where it seems to be a flesh and blood creature, but there's strange things happening around it, like even Mark uh, that I was just talking about where these uh, creatures were observing his kids, like when they walked from there. He uh, had witnessed orbs of light out in the woods in conjunction with sightings with these things, and I've heard that uh, in other reports. I've never seen anything like that myself. Um, what's the connection? I don't know. Is it coincidence? Maybe so. You know, I don't know. Did, um, did, he, but did, yeah, he, then, did he happen to capture any of the orbs on his surveillance video that he put up? Um, not that I remember. Uh, oh, one, one of the things it was, and this was, I got to see this firsthand. Uh, behind the house where uh, this thing was coming up to where his his boy's window was, it had left a greasy handprint on the back of that house. It was a it was a sheet metal outside on the house, and it left a, a greasy like handprint uh, how, on that. How close was, how close was this to the casino? Then was that the same one? That oh, was in the oh, oh, no, 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 not like that. More like I say grease. I'm talking like. Maybe the oil from the finger prints uh, or something. I no, no, this is a, this is a good. Probably, I thought that would be too good of a tie-in. Right 160 there. miles from where <laughs> that that took place. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, he he experienced something, and he's got so many like pictures from around his house. Uh, you know, we found a, a game camera out in the woods that he had forgot he even had. And um, it turned out it had a, a picture of what looked like it coming through the brush, a, a, a humanoid black figure. And it looks like it has like a white uh, patch on the top of its head there, which would kind of be like, you know, the little boy said, there's a bear with a white face looking in my window. Oh, yeah. So that, that was pretty weird. And I've had uh, people report, I mean, he had like electrical anomalies and some other weird stuff going around his house. It, there were some some things that you could probably classify as high strangeness going around there too. Now, did that have anything to do with the with the the Bigfoots that were there, or was that coincidence? I you know I I don't know that. Well, and it's it's funny you were uh, you, you know telling the story that the kid felt that the that there was a you know a black figure or whatever black man in the woods following him to the bus. I just, I just interviewed somebody um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, her name was Rhonda who in the seventies and I think it was Iowa would take her kids down to the school bus. And there was a Bigfoot that she said she knew it was in the field, you know, four or five rows into the field that would walk through the corn and back up to the house. Yeah, she would go to wow. the school bus and come back up. It was, it's so it's weird that you that you just described that same kind of uh, um, activity. You know, they're obviously right. they're very obviously they're very curious and they're obviously curious. super well, curious about kids. 
and two, there was a there was a house not far from theirs, deeper into the woods. And of course, I said, "Have you talked to that neighbor? Have they experienced anything?" And he said, "No." He said they had not, but it was an older gentleman who was kind of disabled and didn't really get out much, and there were never any kids there. And I I kind of where he lived was kind of. Uh, south of the Kaimishi Mountains, not far, not ju- I mean, just a few miles. You can see the foothills of the Kaimishi from from his yard, and you go just a little bit south, and you're into the uh, northeast part of Texas, where you know you go into the, what they call the Big Thicket area, where they have a long history of Bigfoot sightings there. And I'm, I was telling, I said, you know, you probably at a crossroads right here i think they passed through and they they saw your kids out playing and are uh, were curious now do i think you should trust anything like that absolutely not you know you got children those kids come first you know so i don't i don't blame him at all for wanting to get them you know out of there because you i mean you don't know don't they kidding. may not be a harry and the hendersons type you know <laughs> yeah. no kidding Okay. But for the biggest part, I think the evidence is um, very overwhelming that for the biggest part, they are uh, want to avoid us at, as much as possible. But sometimes their curiosity gets the best of them and they get, you know, seen. Well, David, I um, want to give you give, give our uh, listeners again the name of your YouTube channel saying so go check that out and then where they can find uh, your two uh, books. Okay. Well, my YouTube channel is called Bigfoot and More. And uh, and if any, you know, I've got contact on there. If anybody wants to contact me with uh, a sighting or something that's here in Oklahoma or close or just want to share something, just, you know, the address there is bigfootandmore at yahoo.com. I, I do my best to answer uh, any emails that, that's sent. But it's Bigfoot and more. And my books are uh, Kayamishi Bigfoot, Investigating the Oklahoma Sasquatch. Um, and that is a documentary basically documenting my uh, investigations into this, uh, this mystery. And it's available on Amazon in both ebook and paperback. And the other one is called The Champagne. Terror has a name, and it's a uh, fictional. Uh, Bigfoot story uh, based on a monster in a native Choctaw uh, legend, and it is also available on Amazon in uh, ebook or paperback. Well, David, we'll we'll throw some links up there for all the all the listeners so they can go uh, subscribe to your YouTube channel and go check out those books. So uh, I just think right. the c- couple stories that you shared, especially about the uh, Kaimishi. Uh, Bigfoot book I I mean there's I, I bet that's a page turner you know there's uh, some like some good stuff yeah and it's just I mean you can read it pretty quick it's it's a couple hundred pages it's not you know massive um but I'm, I'm about to start on the next one so you know knock on wood got to get it get in the writing mood again and <laughs> I've already started an outline on it well that's that so, look you can't write the book unless you got the outline I can tell you that much. Right. <laughs> I can tell you that much. Well, David, thank you so much for hanging out, hanging out with me for uh, for a little bit tonight, and uh, uh, I'm glad. 
I'm glad uh, we got to have you on. You had some great. Uh, well, I've enjoyed this. Nice visit. Yeah, some great experiences and and. Oh, I and think, hey, I'm very... Go ahead. No, what's I? I'm just saying. I think that that uh, like people don't really think of Oklahoma as a hot spot, but obviously the uh, some of the people we've talked to, it's just as got just as much going on when it comes to Bigfoot as anyplace else. Yeah, yeah, and it has been, it always has been down in especially the, the Washita Mountains and such, but also uh, in the Northeast as well. I mean, yeah, you know, thing is, you never know where one of these things is going to show up when you get down to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, David, well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll keep in touch. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. Ha 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 ha.